0: the views expressed on TMI with Aldous Tyler are not necessarily those of WSUMFM, the University of Wisconsin in Madison or the Board of Regents. Oh no, my friends, the views for the next hour are all mine. Welcome to TMI with Aldous Tyler for Friday, December the 31st, New Year's Eve, 2021. Now, all over the place, you're going to be hearing retrospectives on the year. Hey, let's look back on 2021 and and see where we've been. I'm not sure about you, but I'm pretty clear on where we've been in 2021. I, I was there you were there, it seems to me that around this time of year in particular, oh, there's um, a laziness, if you will, in the media where they just basically say, you know what, we can, it's the holidays, no one's paying attention anyway, we're not going to put any real effort into what we are giving people uh, in our uh, news and other informational offerings. And so, yeah, you you get your feel-good holiday pieces. You get your years in review. And, you know, I've done it, too. Let's just be really clear. I'm not saying I've never done a year in review. No, I have. I have. Um, but they are kind of lazy, right? Um, the big thing that I would do if I was going to be doing a year in review is to make sure that i pointed out the things that uh, might have slipped by or at least might you might have not uh, noticed happened because again hey you were here in 2021 right if you're listening to me right now guarantee you're old enough to say that you weren't born just yesterday you've you've seen this year happen yourself right 2021 has a meaning to you already right it has a meaning to me um So, we don't need to go over the obvious, right? We don't need to go over what everybody remembers 2021 for. What might be beneficial is to look at the parts of 2021 that we probably should keep in mind um, as we move forward. Uh, One example is how. Starting in April and throughout the early summer, especially, um, instead of doing the work um, to you know work with uh, both Democrats and those who are actually on the the left end of the political spectrum, uh, the GOP in state after state decided they were going to focus on what they were saying is critical race theory. (gasps) This is terrible. This just teaches people to hate America. Whatever. Uh, I mean, okay. So, I know the reason why I'm bringing this up, because you're probably like, oh my God, all this, didn't we go through this? Yes. But, and here's what I want to point out is important. When the GOP was faced with the fact that they were not going to be looking good once the... January 6th, Capitol riot investigations got going. Once they realized they really didn't have any leg to stand on anymore for the climate problems with how many more and more people were being affected by climate caused or climate exacerbated uh, disasters. Once they realized that there was no real room for them, economically speaking, when it came to helping people survive, when right now, very few of us are feeling comfortable when it comes to our our economic outlook. When they realized that there was just no room for them in the debate to really push back too well, they pulled a look over here. Oh, don't don't look at that. Look over here. We've got a problem, ladies and gentlemen. Critical race theory is being taught to your little itty-bitty kids in school. Critical race theory is being taught to tell them to hate America. Now, you see, that's because the definition of America, in their case, is one in which white people founded it, in which white people built it, in which white people accomplished everything without having to acknowledge that white people also built the systems that allowed them to do any and all of that, specifically at the expense of everybody else. Now, of course, it was just all a big boogeyman. Critical race theory was never, as it truly is, uh, in its truest form, was never, ever being taught at the elementary level generally never touched at middle school, very rarely in high school. It, it, the discussion wasn't truly about critical race theory being taught to anybody in the primary education system. No, it was about the fact that it was the a boogeyman term, basically they took an actual term for a a scientific uh, a social science principle, uh, critical race theory, and turned it into the boogeyman term they were going to use to vilify all thought, all thought out there that in any way, shape, or form tries to put a realistic perspective on the fact that our society here in the United States of America is built around the promotion of values and culture that we white people find acceptable And that it has been largely built historically and still is on the backs of people who are black, who are Mexican, who are Central American, who are South American, who are Asian. They don't want that to be out there. Do they want to say that, yes? White people have been successful. Look, this white person invented that. This white person invented this. Sure. Do they want to mention that a number of those inventions that have been credited to white people were first invented by people who aren't, you know, white? No. Oh, no. God, no. They don't want that. Um, do they want to mention that for a long time? The economy was dependent on black people working for free involuntarily. Ladies and gentlemen, that's that's another word for slavery. Oh no, they don't look at that. And they can't deny it happened, of course. But they're like, there's no need to examine that. That's in the past. It's in the past. So let me let me ask you a quick question. World War II, is that in the past? Because um, during World War II, we were more than happy to have black soldiers, black military people out there in Europe and in the Pacific fighting the war. More than happy. And we were more than happy to ridicule them, to belittle them, to persecute them once they got back. Were they treated as hero veterans? Oh, no. Did they get the full benefits of the GI Bill the way all of the white soldiers had? Oh, no. Was that fair? Oh, no. No. But oh, my gosh. If you're looking at that, you're, you're so stuck in the past. Guess what? World War II and its people are still just two generations back from many people today. Heck, they're only one generation back from many people in Congress, heck. some people in Congress are actually of that generation, but let's not go on there. Um, The point is this. It is within living memory that something as benign as a drinking fountain or bubbler, as we like to call them here in Wisconsin, would have a sign on it saying whites and colored so that you wouldn't have to drink at the same water fountain as someone who wasn't white. If you're a white person, it's within living memory. That black people had to put together the green book. So they could have some idea of where it was safer and truly unsafe to travel within the borders of the United States. So, they could keep track of what's called sundown towns, where if they were found after sundown, they would be extra legally treated to beatings, even death. It is within living memory that it was considered a radical notion, a radical notion to allow black people to sit in the same place on a bus as white people. Don't tell us we're living in the past and that it's irrelevant. When those who are against critical race theory are all for remembering the South, quote unquote. They're all for remembering the Confederacy. They're all for saying, oh, well, you, you can't tear down those statues. Those statues, they they honor history. The Civil War itself is well older than any of the examples I'm giving. And what's more is, and this is a big secret a lot of people don't know, the grand majority Of all statuary out there devoted to Confederate soldiers and generals and all that, these were not put up immediately following the Civil War or during the Civil War. Many, 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 many of these were put up decades later by the Ku Klux Klan and their supporters. It's very clear. That white culture, if you will, has no problem living in the past so long as it's glorifying itself. And has no problem hiding behind the shield of, oh, you're just so focused on things that are long gone when it's not convenient to look at what actually occurred. Now, it it may be very interesting to note, by the way, critical race theory, as it is properly known, makes no assumption that all white people are evil. That's absolute nonsense. It makes the assumption that all white supremacy is wrong and needs to be charted so that we can understand how not to continue being white supremacist. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a worthy goal to me. It sounds like a good idea not to be white supremacist. It sounds like a good idea to be aware of white supremacy has snuck deep into our systems so that we don't perpetuate it. It sounds to me like a good idea to examine how it is your average white person benefits From the systems that are set up, so we can make sure to extend those benefits to everybody. Or if that's not sustainable, so we can curtail those benefits back a bit so that everyone can have an even playing field. And you can't do that if you aren't actively looking at societal structures through the lens of, hey, we know white people have done great here in America since long before its founding. Why is it that not everybody has? Let's take a look at that. That's all critical race theory is about. The GOP doesn't want that even remotely discussed. But here's the most important and insidious thing. There's no There's no news. To the fact that your average GOP politician benefits from white supremacy and never, ever, ever wants that acknowledged by society, right? Your average GOP politician got to where he or she is based very strongly on the fact that they were able to leverage the systems white supremacy is put in place for their political gain. Now, hell, that's also true of plenty of Democrats. Don't don't get me wrong. But, 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 here's where I'm saying it's insidious. Because you see, again, it's no news. There's, There's nothing new about the GOP not wanting these kind of things discussed. But they decided they had to start making a real ruckus about it. Bang those pots, send off the fireworks, make sure everybody's looking over here at critical race theory and oh my gosh, all the, the possible cultural threat and blah, 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 blah. They, that nonsense was thrown into high gear this year because the GOP realizes while they have some extremely ardent supporters, ones that are more than willing to trash their uh, trash their entire existence to go storm the Capitol on a cold January day, amongst others, and plenty of others who I'm sure would have loved to do it, but they didn't have uh, the means to get there at the time. They know they've got that support, right? But they know that that support is a tiny fraction of the American public. They saw the public backlash that happened from the January 6th Capitol riot. And it terrified them. Maybe some of them had been deluding themselves to think that they had the majority, the silent majority of people behind them when the Capitol attack was being put into place. Maybe they thought, yes, now we'll see exactly who is supporting us, right? Oh, but they did. They found out exactly who. Very, very few people. The attack on the Capitol, January 6th, 2021, showed very starkly that the GOP's strong, strong supporters, while they're very loud, highly obnoxious, and difficult to ignore, are actually very few in number. To the GOP, that's terrifying. Terrifying. So they knew, unless they did everything they could to pull all media attention on a local state and national scale away from the popularity of doing something about the cost of education, doing something about student loans, doing something about low wages, doing something about um, everything. Unless they were able to pull attention away from that, they were screwed this year. Ah, but they did. They managed to pull that attention away. They started yelling about critical race theory. Suddenly, that became the big story right when, right when we had that tiger by the tail and had plenty of leverage to pull them across the finish line to get done what we needed to do in order to accomplish a number of great things. As a consequence, things in Congress stalled and kept stalling. President Biden, who is not known to be one to take much in the way of action when the status quo suits him so well, President Biden himself failed to act in so many ways. The GOP managed to make such a fuss that the fact that their Ardent supporters are so few in number. Didn't matter. They managed to make such a fuss that it's almost like every single strident GOP supporter had the political power of five or six other Americans. But oh my gosh. Don't let people be taught to hate America. Don't ever forget the lessons of 2021 when it comes to the fact that even when backed into a corner with very little power, those who have set up the power structure to benefit themselves will do everything they can to retain that power, no matter who it hurts. You need to be ready for that with a counter, and you need to be able to see it what it is for what it is and not put up with it and not let it distract you. We got caught blindsided by nonsense, and it cost us dearly. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. Yes. On WSUM 91.7 FM in Madison. Hallelujah. You're my Savior, man. no person, Jesus Christ. It's your cure for the common media, airing every Friday at 5 p.m. Central, podcasting every Monday evening. And Mikey, I think he likes it. He more. Oh, yes. Check out TMI, TMI, TMI.com for podcasts and all things TMI. I know Kung Fu. Show me. And we're back TMI with Aldous Tyler. On a Tuesday of this week, CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky said something which I think we should never, ever forget was said by a public official who is, by the way, part of a democratic administration. Okay. Because this right here is one of those times where they say the straight out truth and don't mean to be exposing themselves as much as they are. Now, I will give you the quote in context as well, but the part that I'm focusing on first is where Dr. Rochelle Walensky says, we can't take science in a vacuum. We have to put science in the context of how it can be implemented in a functional society. That's a very, very pretty way of saying, you know what? Science can tell us exactly what's happening, what's going on, and how um, we can best avoid what we want to avoid, best handle problems that come up. But you know what? What about the money? We have to keep this capitalist society functioning and science be damned. Sometimes we just have to go ahead and do the thing that will make more money and keep more money functioning, no matter what the science really says. I, I was just astounded by the um, candor, frankly, of that statement. Now, now I promised I was going to give you the whole thing in context. Here's how this works. Okay. First of all, more than 200,000 people are testing positive for COVID-19 here in the United States every day. That's 1 million more people testing positive every five days here in the United States. Okay. And until Tuesday, until the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, gave her new guidance, A positive test meant that you should stay home for 10 days to avoid infecting other people, right? That was the guidance. It was backed by the science. It said, you know what? Yeah, at that point, you should be safe. There shouldn't be any real chance of you infecting others as long as you stayed home 10 days uh, past infection. But now, Dr. Rochelle Walensky CDC director released the guidance that says, well, if you don't have symptoms after five days, you can go back to your regular activities, just wear a mask. Now, here's the thing. On the one hand, they tried to say, well, I mean, this changing guidance was motivated by by science demonstrating that the majority of SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 transmission occurs early in the course of illness. Yeah, the majority. Now the full quote from Dr. Rochelle Walensky was that she, well, she says the change was motivated by economic and societal concerns. She said, with a really large anticipated number of cases from Omicron, we also want to make sure we can, keep the critical functions of society open and operating. And this is where she said, we can't take science in a vacuum. We have to put science in the context of how it can be implemented in a functional society. Now, you know, here's, here's, here's the funny thing about that. We know what to do to keep society functioning and allow people to stay home. Pay them to stay home. Let them not suffer economically for the fact that they're doing the responsible thing and not infecting everybody else. Oh, no, we can't do that. Public health experts say a shorter isolation period may be reasonable at this point in the pandemic. But they say the agency's new guidance is problematic because it relies on people's self-judgment to assess their transmission risk and can lead to more spread and more COVID-19 cases when people aren't careful about this. Dr. Emily Landon, an infectious disease uh, expert, a specialist, I should say, at University of Chicago Medicine, says, you know, the CDC is right. The vast majority of the transmissions happen in the first couple of days after the onset of symptoms. But the data shows then about 20 to 40% of people are still going to be able to transmit COVID after five days. Now, let me just make sure you understand what I'm talking about here. Out of every, first of all, 200,000 new infections every day, of that 200,000, 40 to 80,000 of them are still going to be quite able to transmit COVID after five days. And that's every day with this new guidance, 40 to 80,000 people going back out into society when they probably should be keeping their butt at home and not infecting other people. Dr. Emily Landon continued. she says, is that person leaving isolation after five days really safe to carpool with or have close contact with? or have them take care of your unvaccinated kids, you know? Now, Lana mentions that mask adherence is essential to this policy being effective. Huh. Look, in the deepest, darkest days we've yet faced with this pandemic, mask adherence is probably one of the most controversial things out there. How many times, how many times have you had people threaten workers at places that require masks for you to do business? How many times have you had entire counties within states, or shoot for that matter, entire states say mask mandates are not allowed? But mask adherence is essential to this five-day instead of 10-day policy working. The guidance is assuming that people will wear a mask for five days after coming out of isolation. And that's if infected and for 10 days if they are exposed to a positive case. But mask compliance here, again, in the U.S., is really low. Dr. Celine Gounder, an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist at the New York University School of Medicine and Bellevue Hospital, uh, previously, by the way, served as COVID-19 advisor, President Biden says many people will wear their masks on their chins or below their noses, which is useless, useless. If you're doing the chin diaper thing, or if you're exposing your nostrils, you are not wearing your mask and you should stay the hell home. Certainly don't let that happen in public. What is the matter with you? Chin diaper people. Now, Gounder and Langdon are among a chorus of public health experts who think the guidance from the CDC relies too heavily on the honor system. Gounder says we should really be using objective, concrete measurements to decide whether somebody needs to continue being in isolation, like rapid antigen testing. After all, testing would help indicate whether a person still has a significant amount of spreadable virus in their upper airways. Hey, if after five days they don't, great, they can go back out there. But what if they do? Then no. Don't put them out there. Don't have another forty to eighty thousand people every day rejoining the workforce and being communicable. That's insane. A Dr. Michael Mina. Right. An epidemiologist and chief scientific uh, officer at EMIT said uh, bluntly, CDC's new guidance to drop isolation of positives to five days without a negative test is reckless. He said, I absolutely don't want to sit next to someone who turned positive five days ago and has not tested negative. Now, that's an important point. The guidance does not require a negative test to leave isolation or quarantine. It says to test, if possible, after five days if you're exposed. However, this comes at a time when COVID-19 tests are currently in short supply. People are queuing up at malls around city blocks, sometimes for hours, to get tested. Rapid tests are out of stock on pharmacy shelves and online. Gounder sees the absence of a testing requirement in these updated CDC guidelines as an example of scarcity-determining policy. The test could work, but there are just not enough tests readily available. So the CDC says, well, you know what? We really need to be doing this testing, but we don't have the tests. so heck with it. Not, oh, my God, let's make more tests. Not, oh, my God, let's do it like we did with the ventilators and take over other manufacturing capacity to make more tests. We need more testing. Nope. Just, eh, let's skip it. The CDC's Dr. Walensky defended the new COVID-19 recommendations in an interview with NPR on Tuesday. We're trusting people to get the test to begin with. We're we're trusting them to stay home and to isolate for the first five days. We're, We're trusting them to protect one another and wear a mask in those last five days. And we're trusting them to include their symptoms as part of that calculus. I think we as a society need to trust people to follow all the components of this guidance. What a load of crap. There's nothing about trusting people in this guidance. This guidance is all about allowing employers to say, get back to work. Get back to, I don't care how you're feeling. It's been five days. Get your butt back to work now or you're fired. This is all about making sure the capitalists keep making their capital. This is all about making sure that we're not spending federal dollars to help make sure people stay home, stay safe, and stay housed. This has nothing to do with anything positive to anybody. This is just about trusting people. No, this is about making sure that we can keep putting the screws to the workers even as we know we're about to have a huge surge in COVID-19 cases. That's what this is about. Here's a a clue. The administration has had an emphasis on COVID-19 vaccines and boosters, but the guidelines make very little distinction between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Those uh, those two groups are facing very different pandemics at the moment, okay? Vaccinated people are much less likely to get infected, and less likely to be infectious for a long period of time, right? Okay, we got that. With that in mind, the CDC could easily have tailored the guidelines to distinguish between those who are protected by vaccines and those who are not. Now, now, the CDC's guidance updates are coming at the end of a long first month with the Omicron variant in the public. State and industry leaders have pushed for re- this reduced isolation period, and dang it, they got it, didn't they? They got it. They say that the lengthy at-home stay for uh, it causes worker shortages and thousands of canceled flights postponed sports games. <gasps> Restaurant closures and such. Yeah, yeah, it has. Because we've got a pandemic. Don't make any mistake about this. This guidance is from the corporate, corporate friendly Biden administration. And they will justify it by saying, oh, we should just trust people to do it. It's going to be a wild ride, ladies and gentlemen, 2022. It's going to be a wild ride. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. We'll be right back. TMI with Aldous Tyler. Well, wrapping up 2021 here, after all, the next time you hear me, it's going to be January 7th of next year. That's right. So, yeah, I really do hope that you have um, a fun celebration, seeing 2021 out the door and welcoming in the new year. Um, I hope this year hasn't been as hellish as it has been for others for you i hope that you have actually experienced a 2021 was that was at the least more positive than negative um not everybody was uh was so uh lucky but um that doesn't stop me from hoping beyond hope that uh that you personally were able to avoid Um, a good bit of the uh, tragedies a good bit of the uh, farcical nonsense that just made life miserable for people this year i mean here some good news uh last i heard the murder hornet scare that we had from the end of 2020 hasn't really done much just yet i'm not saying they're gone but uh When was the last time you heard a story about murder hornets? Right. So um, look here, here's the be all and end all of it. We here living in the United States of America have an interesting view of things. We constantly hearken back to the founding of the nation and the principles it was founded on and pretend there's a direct lineage from that to here. From that point to this point, that somehow there's a direct connection when really uh, that's nonsense. Um, and let me explain. Let me explain. Yes, technically, the same nation we're sitting in right now was founded in 1776 and ratified in the 1790s. All of that, I get it, right? Um, and we are still living with many of the precepts and laws that were set forth at that time, no matter how unwise, their continuation may or may not be in some cases. The point is this. We as a nation have gone through many cycles of growth and decline, rebirth and growth and decline, rebirth and growth and decline. And I would have to say that we're pretty much toward the end of the fourth cycle of rebirth, growth and decline. Just from what I'm seeing, I'm going to say that we as a country had a rebirth that started in the thirties was put on pause until 1945 because of world war II and then continued a rebirth and a growth as a society. And it cannot be argued that that growth was not on the backs of many of our fellow Americans. The society grew. There were plenty of us who look at the early fifties as the good old days. The mid fifties too. These are the days where you know, we, we could have one full-time job per household, and that would be enough for a house to be purchased. That would be enough for the entire family to live fine. That would be enough to put the kids through college. That would be enough. And that's considered the good old days now. Because, again, be honest. Be honest. You go before World War II, and you have very few people left who are alive from that point. The America we have right now pretty much began with the New Deal. Because before Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal, the idea of pooling governmental resources to help people in need really wasn't very prevalent okay and yes i'm well aware that programs such as government cheese and uh um the snap program where you you have uh, what's what used to be called food stamps that these uh greatly benefit agriculture but again that was the growth the growth because just prior to the new deal we had the Dust Bowl. We had to rebuild from the decline that had hit us from the, uh, the Dust Bowl era, from the, uh, the great crash of Wall Street in the late 20s, or in, in the 20s there, late 20s, um, from Prohibition, all of that stuff that really basically marked the end of that former era of America. We had to re- be reborn from it. So we had ourselves the New Deal. Had to put that on pause and and work together as a nation to just uh, make sure we had all the resources going where we thought we needed to put them for World War II, right? Okay. So we come back from World War II. By the time you're into September of 1945, the war is over. Everybody who's coming home is home pretty much. And that rebirth that began with the New Deal goes full tilt into growth. Full tilt, houses being built all over the place, babies booming. That is what baby boom means, 1946 onward until 1964, baby boomers, because we grew and we grew the society in a way that benefited, let's just face it, white Americans, that benefited the power structures that we thought we knew were the best as a society right we're like well you know it's it's all good we can have societal norms where the dad goes off to work and the mom tends the house if the dad can you know on a full-time job make enough money to support all that sure we'll have these defined family roles right and then as that growth peaked we started challenging the inequality that was very obvious because the growth had happened, but not for everybody. So we start poking at it. We start going, hey, 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 women are not being treated fairly or equally. Blacks are not being treated, you know, your black Americans are not being treated fairly or equally. Right? Right. In fact, no one who isn't white and male is being treated the way the white male folks are. These grew as it became more and more undeniable that the very society that we had put together post-World War II was built to benefit the white male power structure. It just happened. It just happened that way. Right? That's the way it got put together. And uh, and the more it was criticized, the more the power structure fought back. And said, well, this is the way it should be. Look at what we accomplished. Look at all this stuff. We had all of these great industrial expansions. Look at all these cities that grew. Look at the population that grew. We had a great time of prosperity. Yeah, but but the we doesn't include anybody who wasn't necessarily white and male sure you had a few that enjoyed the prosperity who didn't fit that but that's not the way the trend was and that's not the way the system was built so we challenged and we challenged and we challenged and as happens anyway with any system the growth plateaued and started going downward now those who built the system to benefit themselves blamed those of us who are critical of its inequalities. You're ruining everything. You're tearing apart everything we've accomplished. How dare you? But that just ignores that cycles happen. Rebirth, growth, decline is a cycle. And ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely 100% saying that we are at that nexus. Between decline and rebirth. What the next phase of the United States of America is, is up to us. Let's make it a good one. You're listening to TMI with Aldous Tyler. And I'm going to thank you for tuning in all this year. Appreciate it. Again, check out TMI, TMI, TMI.com if you want uh, any uh, further info or TMI goodness. But in our final minute of the year here, I want to remind you that while I appreciate you relying on my viewpoints once a week, you have a much more powerful tool in your arsenal that you can rely on every second of your waking life. And that is the ability to see things how they truly are. You have to remember that. You are getting too much information thrown at you every day by those who don't want you to pay attention to what actually matters. So to not allow that to cloud your vision, you got to close your eyes. It's true. Breathe deep in and out. Remember what matters to you. Your own moral compass is absolutely vital here. Find that center within yourself. Because then you'll be ready to see the world for how it is. So once you've released that breath, you've found that center, you know what you're about. To see the world for how it is. At that point, all you'll have to do is...